We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike Vigil, and what a week of games. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? Staying positive, as always, Mike, or at least trying my best. Uh, Absolutely nothing is wrong with this franchise. There are no negative things to talk about, (laughs) and we're going to have just a fantastic time uh, talking about the Phoenix Suns for the next hour or so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. We were trying to think of what we were going to talk about early on this week, and uh, enough has happened that we have enough to talk about. Unfortunately, it's just not all uh, fun and exciting things to talk about, but it still needs to be talked about. We are, after all, a Phoenix Suns podcast and ultimately Phoenix, Phoenix Suns fans, and that's actually what we wanted to start this conversation with. Uh, first off, the state of Phoenix Suns fans. Uh, Sam, you had some things you wanted to talk about with that. What do you think of uh, how Phoenix Suns fans are reacting to this stretch of games? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of unfortunate, Mike, because I think we've seen it before over the past few years, but especially in this current stretch that the fan base is so broken. Everyone's spirit seems to be broken, and it's resulted in all of this toxicity online, whether it be on Reddit or Twitter, other social media platforms, other websites and blogs and forums, um, I think this is really the height of the most toxicity I've seen just spewn between fans of opposing sides. And it's almost made me, as you know, I think most people who listen to this podcast know by now we are moderators for the Suns Reddit. It's made me just want to go online less and less 
over the past week or so because uh, it's it's really sort of unfortunate what's happening with this fan base right now. I guess my response to all of these people who are really arguing with each other constantly and being at each other's throats despite all being fans of the same team would be that this is supposed to be fun um, being a fan. It, it certainly may not look like it right now when you watch, you know, the Suns score nine points and two consecutive opening quarters, but this is supposed to be fun. And if sports are consuming your life to the point where you're just finding yourself becoming increasingly bitter and angry, even at people who share for the most part, the same goals that you do, I would say that's probably a sign that you should maybe start to take a step back, relax. Uh, you don't need to follow every game religiously. I don't think anyone would blame any Suns fan right now for taking this stretch of games as an excuse to check out for a little bit and just remind yourself that it's not the most serious thing in the world because seriously, right now online, Suns fans are uh, just constantly at each other's throats. Yeah, and what, and what do we expect from a team that's missing its two best players? I mean, uh, I understand not only... When we have our two best players, are we one of the worst teams in the NBA? But without them, we are by far the worst team in the NBA. And maybe that's not entirely true now that the Chicago Bulls got beat by 50-something points. But uh, we are definitely one of the worst. And I think, if anything, this stretch of games, which has included uh, four, four losses since the last time we spoke... Um, has proven that the Suns fan base is not really built for this. It's and, and, and in a sense, maybe we should be because it's been such a disaster for the last few years. But when your owner fires your general manager at the beginning of the season and follows that up with an interview on the radio that says the switch needs to be flipped and now it's time, now it's time, the switch is flipped, we've got our number one pick, we finally got what we tanked for, the expectation is... Not that we're going to win. I don't think that Suns fans were that delusional. But I think the expectation was we are now a competitive team or at least can show some competitive spirit well on the court. And I think the last few games, what's hard about losing, losing hurts no matter what. But what's hard about losing like this is that it has there hasn't been a lot of hope shown on the floor, especially from some of the young guys uh, who, who have played. So actually, let's let's start to get into it a little bit. So the games that happened since the last time we spoke, um, Lakers, Kings, Blazers, and Heat, all four losses. Uh, Devin Booker went down with a hamstring injury early in the Lakers game, which will likely have him out for approximately four weeks is, is the expectation right now. Uh, so that's we're about a week into that, um, and then of course the the other games uh, without Devin Booker and T.J. Warren, who who's out with an ankle injury. So, uh, pretty brutal stretch of games, right, Sam? Yeah, it's it's been really rough, and that's why I say I understand why people are frustrated. Um, I don't enjoy watching these games right now. It, they're not fun, and and why why would they be? You know, when Sean Alshadi, he was on our podcast a, a few months ago, and he said, we're all teammating now, and that's something that stuck with me. I just like that phrase. Just remember that the other Suns fans you're talking to, even if you disagree with them, they're kind of your teammates. We're all on the same team. Like We, we already have to endure all the fans from the other teams sort of stepping in and, and letting us know <laughs> that things are already going really bad for us. And then we have to endure the, the national media that either ignores us entirely or only writes about us to, to say bad things or negative things. Um, let's not do that to each other. How about that? Uh, let's see. Let's get into these games. 
Now, the Lakers lost no surprise, I think. Uh, the Kings lost. The Kings are playing much better than we expected, so I think that was no surprise. And the Blazers and Heat, of course, without Devin Booker and TJ Warren, there's no real expectation for things to go well. So what we wanted to talk about is what we've learned from these games. So the first thing I want to talk about is DeAnthony Melton. So DeAnthony Melton actually <laughs> got some playing time. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah, I, that is really nice. And look at how he responded. Yeah, what do you think about how he's played? Uh, really, I don't want to say really well. He's played fairly well. Um, of course, there was the one twenty-one point effort that we could talk about overall in the past three games. Uh, Igor Kakashkov has rewarded him with a lot of playing time, and and he's shown exactly what I think uh, we expected, which is defensive intensity and hustle constantly, even when the team is down by fifteen, twenty, twenty-five points. Um, surprisingly, he's showing off his three-point stroke too. I think that's one of the things that a lot of Suns fans were concerned or a lot of just NBA draft scouts in general were concerned about him uh, coming into the league. And it's a really small sample size so far. But over the past five games, uh, he is shooting 44 percent from three point range, a little bit over 10 points, about four assists. So if there are any positives to highlight uh, from this past week, D'Anthony, sorry, D'Anthony Melton is where you start, I would think. Yeah, I think so too. I think we've finally seen some passing, some good passing. He had some good plays. There was a nice drop-off pass to Rashawn Holmes that got some play online. Um, some some interesting things that sort of uh, defensively that he's able to do. Uh, I think that it's clear, although he played relatively well through a lot of these games, I think it's clear that he's not sort of the answer when uh, Devin Booker and TJ Warren are back. But at this point, I think he's showed an, enough to try and start him next to Devin Booker. So we've seen him play a lot, but we haven't seen a lot of minutes with D'Anthony Melton next to Devin Booker. And uh, where D'Anthony Melton fits in this team likely would be next to Devin Booker because Devin Booker, as we know, not the best perimeter defender, a great offensive threat. Uh, And D'Anthony Melton can sort of make up for that defensive mistakes or the defensive flaws I should say that Devin Booker has the other thing DeAnthony Melton does that not a lot of our point guards really do is push it in transition we, we've talked about this in the last few weeks the Suns are not near one of the fastest teams in the NBA in fact <laughs> they're they're in the bottom 10 of the NBA in the previous seasons they were in the top 10 in pace so this is sort of a new thing for the Suns to not be one of the faster teams in the NBA not having point guards is likely one of the big reasons for that and uh, when Devin Booker's playing point guard, he doesn't really, he's not the type of guy to run it down underneath and keep his dribble while looking for other players. It's just not, not the way he plays. He's more likely to slow it down and run a few high pick and rolls to try and find uh, the right guys. So DeAnthony Melton coming in and pushing the pace, that that could make make a difference. What else did you notice from these last uh, few games, Sam? Or what, what did you learn from these last few games? On the positive side of things, um, either, either way, I, I, I think <laughs> that'll be hard. <laughs> let's let's try to continue to start with a positive. Let's talk about the um, God. I can't believe I'm about to say this. The Troy Daniels resurgence <laughs> that we've seen over the past five games, if you want to call it call it that. And I understand it's hard to get excited over um, empty points, if you will, that are coming in blowouts. But Troy Daniels continued to do what I think we all knew he was capable of, even though he wasn't really getting any playing time uh, in the first stretch of games this season. He's averaged uh, 12.6 points per game over his last five, shooting 49% from three-point range. Um, Perfect from the free-throw line, although it's Troy Daniels, so he doesn't really get to the free-throw line in the first place, just like the rest of the players on the Suns. However, this this maybe brings up an interesting question of um, 
does Troy Daniels deserve mitts when this team is at full strength? And is there a sort of role that that he could fill uh, on this team that is currently not being met? Um, Mike, well, I don't know what you think about that, but you know, I figured it might be interesting. Well, I was an advocate for Troy Daniels looking good in the type of system that Igor ran previous to being the coach here on the Suns um, with DeAndre Ayton on the team. A lot of what Igor ran with Slovenia is completely different uh, with what he runs for the Suns in that there's a lot more of the big, which is Ayton in this case, catching the ball in the high post and sort of playmaking from that position, which is still great and still can get shooters open, assuming we have shooters. But when he was running that offense for Slovenia, there was a lot of guards that were cutting sort of jump cutting or cutting off of down screens to open shots, which I'd like to see more of. So I think, yeah, I think Troy Daniels should play more in general and maybe even take some of those... Uh, I hate to say I hate to Are pick on him now that we're trying to stay positive, but maybe <laughs> even take some of those Josh Jackson minutes because Josh Jackson, he's not been good. He just hasn't been good. And I don't know. Look, I, I don't know at this point of the season if we're even going to try to win more games, but I know that when Devin Booker is back and on the court, he wants to try to win games. So there's there's this weird balance, and this is the same thing that we've been dealing with for the last few seasons, and I think that's why Suns fans are so frustrated right now, is that we expected to move on past this, but there's this delicate balance of, is it worthwhile to play these guys, like in the past it was Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson last season, is it worth it to play these guys, even though they're a negative on the court, because the minutes, in theory... We haven't really seen this play out with anyone but Devin Booker and TJ Warren. But in theory, the minutes that they're given could likely prove beneficial in the future when they develop into more effective basketball players. Now, the question is, (laughs) are those minutes actually beneficial for Josh Jackson? And if we are trying to win, even though Troy Daniels doesn't do much, but what he does do is elite, which is shoot threes. It's elite. And that is not an exaggeration. He's one of the best catch and shoot shooters in the NBA, and we've seen that he's also developed in this last about the end of last season, and I saw him work on it a lot on on Instagram uh, throughout the off season. He's developed the ability to pump fake and take a dribble or two, and then shoot off the dribble from three. Nothing like a point guard, but enough to actually uh, affect the defense uh, in a way that helps uh, the Suns on offense. So the question is: Would Troy Daniels be more beneficial for this team on the court? than Josh Jackson and that is a really sad question first of all because Josh Jackson was a number four pick overall and he should be more beneficial to the team but I don't know what what do you think about Josh Jackson he's got a lot of run in these last few games now that uh, Devin Booker and uh, Tony Warren Jr. are out of the lineup <laughs> here but <laughs> I don't know if it's really shown he, he I don't know if he stepped up what, what do you think about Josh Jackson Putting Josh Jackson in a situation where he has to play, like, let's take it back to the end of last year, the Jay Triano Suns, when the Suns went, what, like, 3-27 and, and 27 in their last 30 games, and Josh Jackson was putting up, let's be honest, empty numbers in 35 minutes a game. Those minutes are not helpful to his to his development. We see, you know, all of these step-back, mid-range, inefficient jumpers. We see bad, bad efficiency numbers from him across the board, and I, I don't think that helps anyone. It's unfortunate, though, because... Um, we did see Josh Jackson get to play with a healthy Devin Booker in like a small stretch of games after Josh Jackson was benched by Igor and came back in that stretch of games where he was only playing like 15 to 20 minutes. 
he was actually playing pretty well. His efficiency wasn't great, but it was better. He was showing a lot of defensive intensity, which you know you're not going to get from Troy Daniels. And I honestly think that was a good role for Josh Jackson. That's exactly where I want to see him. I was almost even ready to praise him because during that stretch of games, he really started to uh, limit his turnovers. We saw a lot of games from him where he was only getting one or two turnovers in 20 minutes per game, which for Josh Jackson is a lot of progress. Unfortunately, now Devin Booker and TJ Warren are both out. TJ's coming back very soon. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but as long as Devin Booker's out, you thrust Josh right back into the 30-minute-per-game role. And as soon as I was ready to praise him for for limiting his turnovers, in the last three games, he commits four, five, and six turnovers because he just can't create for others in, in the way that we would like from him right now. So it is unfortunate. He's got so many holes in his game. Um, but when the Suns are at full strength, I do think there's a role for Josh Jackson as a low-usage, high-defensive-intensity uh, player who can come off the bench. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think Troy Daniels should take those minutes. Is Josh still a net negative on the court? Maybe. But you have to believe that those minutes are going to contribute to some positive development for the future. Well, first off, every player is a net negative on the court for the Suns right now, technically. If we're just looking at numbers, there's that there's not a single so player. I know. There was that I, small stretch where we could cling on to the Mikhail Bridges net yeah. rating king. Right? <laughs> but it's, it's fading now. Yeah. It's just, that's just the truth. And, and Mikhail, well... We should we should get into Mikhail a little bit here because Mikhail had a fun week. <laughs> uh, there was a couple things that happened. My most retweeted tweet I've ever had uh, was a clip of Mikhail Bridges and Igor Kokoshkov. Uh, I described it as Igor Kokoshkov playing defense on uh, on Mikhail trying to get to the bench. It almost looked like he was blocking him from getting to the bench. Mikhail clearly frustrated for. For many reasons, one he's always played on winners. Uh, for, for for the record, I mean he's he's a guy that won two national championships in college, and I'm sure he's been one of the best players on, on, on any high school team he's ever played on. And I'm sure they were great with a guy like Mikhail on on the team. Uh, two, a frustrating stretch for him. His shot has sort of left him a little bit. He's still done really well on the court, regardless. He's the type of guy that doesn't need his shot to be effective. What makes him a top ten pick is that. It'll come back. I, I'm not. I'm not super worried about his shot overall. Uh, we've talked about his ability to create and how much that'll affect him. Not worried about it. Not worried about it. When Devin Booker's on the floor, there's a lot more space available, and I just think he's going to start hitting those shots again. Uh, but coming off the court after being frustrated, well, first off, before he came off the court, I should say he hit one shot, a mid-range shot, which, as we know, is rare with Mikhail Bridges, and immediately turned around and looked at Igor Kokoshkov and shouted every time, every time, twice to him. Now, there's been some debate online on what that was about. Uh, Some people say he was fouled. It looked like he was fouled on the shot, so it could have been that he was looking at Igor and saying, hey, hey, I'm getting hit every time. And, well, first off, what I would say to that is, and we should talk about this before we even go on with the rest of the story here, Sam, but one, if he was shouting every time saying he got fouled, why was he doing that at Igor Kokoshkov? Either he doesn't want to yell at the refs because he doesn't want to get into it, or do you think it's possible that he thinks his coach should be standing up for him more? Or the theory floated by EJ and K Ray, who were calling the game, is that he wants the ball more and he believes he can hit that shot if the play was run for him every time. So, did you see that clip, Sam, or were you watching the game, or did you notice that? And how do you feel about that interaction? Yeah, that's actually funny. I saw the clip. I didn't know about the EJ K Ray theory of uh, running the play every time. Yeah. Um, 
it's not what I would have thought. I would have thought the former. I would have thought it was all about fouls. And by the way, I just want to throw out a quick um, question to you, Mike. If you had to guess, when was the last game this season, as long as we're talking about the Suns and, and foul disparities, when was the last game when the Suns had more free throws than their opponent? Well, I don't know that stat. Uh, I would guess it was Dallas the first game of the season. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, well, no, actually, not going back that far, but it was November 6th against Brooklyn. Uh, we're talking about wow. like 15, 20 games. We're talking about a full month ago. Uh, a little wow. over a full month ago is the last time. And that, and that you can point to a couple things there. You could talk about the Suns being an undisciplined young team. You could also talk about how officials don't respect young players. And I certainly think that plays into the whole narrative we're talking about uh, with Bridges. Well, We've seen it with DeAndre Ayton, too, not getting respect from officials, not getting to the free throw line that much this season. The Suns were top five in, in shooting free throws last season. They were one of the best teams at getting fouled. So to, I don't think the, the young team thing is any excuse on there. There should be no reason for that. So let's say, okay, let's just say we don't know exactly why he was yelling every time at Igor. Um, two plays later, Mikhail gets a down screen, comes around a curve, hits a three. So back-to-back shots for Mikhail, which is rare, uh, uh, to be to be frank. He's not, I mean, he's probably averaging five or six points a game. He just doesn't hit a lot of shots. So he hit another shot. He immediately turned around and looked at Igor Kokoshkov again. Uh and was sort of saying things in his direction. K-Ray and EJ again said that he was asking for the ball more. So that was the sort of the story on the broadcast. Uh, Mikhail then on the next play defensively gets his fifth foul. And as he's taken out of the game and going to the bench, that's when the weird, awkward igor Mikhail dance happened, where Igor was clearly trying to coach him in a very frustrated moment for Mikhail. And Mikhail was brushing him off and trying to get off of him and even sort of raised his hands like, hey, man, like, back off. <laughs> what are you doing to me here? Uh, as he got to the bench. So uh, what I did is, I, first of all, I watched that maybe a 100 times to, to sort of see it. One, for the comedic value because it looked hilarious. Um, and two, just to sort of analyze it from a body language uh, perspective. And, and I, I don't make too much of it in general. But I did talk to some athlete friends of mine that have played at higher levels and about that clip and and generally the the sentiment is that's a very interesting clip and uh I understand the way Mikhail felt feel the way he felt I should say in that moment but I would never do that to a coach that I respected was the response that I got, which I thought was an interesting response. And obviously it's difficult to understand the sort of interaction. Um, We don't know either of these guys. We don't know what it's like, but it it does seem like there's maybe Igor's having some trouble getting through to these guys at this point and understandably so as their team with only four wins. Um, So how did you feel about the dance between Mikhail and Igor? Yeah, I'm not worried about it. Um, Maybe that's stupid. I think any new coach, any rookie coach would have trouble uh, right now. And and I think it's way too soon to be saying things like Igor has lost the locker room, especially when we're talking about Mikhail Bridges, a guy that has been was partially drafted because of his maturity as a junior coming out of college and and as a guy who played for a really well-respected program that found a lot of success and has been consistently praised for his maturity so far in, in the season for the Suns. So I'm really not worried about this. Um, I don't know how many people saw the quotes coming from Bridges via uh, Gina Mizell of The Athletic the next day, but I figure I should just read it out really quickly that Bridges said the next day just to clear things up. He said, quote, I know how I was raised. My mom was even beating me up about it. We're good now. We talked about it and saw each other today like it didn't 
uh, really didn't even happen. Talking about Igor Kokoshkov. Now, that could mean whatever. That could just be good PR on the part of Bridges. But given that this is essentially strike one for him, this event that we're talking about right now, and we haven't seen anything else um, to suggest that he has some sort of discomfort around Igor Kokoshkov so far in the season, I'm, I'm really not worried. And I think we might be making too much out of this small event. I think the weirdest response that I saw was people criticizing Mikhail for it. Uh, I don't really think that anything... I'm not worried about it from that perspective at all. I am a little bit worried about Igor Kokoshkov in general, but it's not just because of that situation. Although I think that was a just... It's just not great that the cameras caught that and this team is in a low point already and now that's something that went viral, partially because of me, I guess. Uh, and, and a lot of people around the internet sort of saw it and made a lot about it. Um, but the other thing that Igor Kokoshkov did this week was bench DeAndre Ayton to start a game in favor of Rashawn Holmes after a lot of criticism that DeAndre Ayton has received for not being aggressive enough. So there's two things to talk about here. One, they said Ayton didn't feel well, but then he played 35 minutes or something like that. So just as much as he would have played it had he started. So that seems a little weird to me. I don't believe them. Let's just say that. I'll just put it out there. I don't believe them. I think they benched him to try and send a message to him, and then they handle it really awkwardly in the media, and it makes us look like amateurs. Uh, and then two, we should talk about it. Is DeAndre Ayton not aggressive enough? I think I, I would say yes, but uh, what did you think about DeAndre Ayton being benched? I don't know. <laughs> and and uh, it's strange yeah. that I feel that way, but... It's tough. I feel like it's a tough position for Igor to be in. I don't really know how I would have handled the same situation as a rookie coach. I mean, I definitely agree with uh, a lot of fans who say that DeAndre isn't being aggressive enough. I wouldn't go as, let me preface that by saying I wouldn't go as far as some of the extremes that you're seeing on the internet. Um, and, and I still think that what the Suns have in, in Aiden overall is pretty special for him to be putting up the type of production he is right now. Um, but I, I kind of agree with you. It's hard to buy the story about the whole uh, sickness, the the whole lack of eating after a morning shoot around leading to him supposedly being benched. But then, oh, a few minutes before the game, it turns out he can play. And so he checks in three minutes into the game. It just it just doesn't make a lot of sense um, all around. And and I wish I don't know. I don't know, Mike. How, how do you feel about it? Because obviously I'm very conflicted on this one. I think it's total bullshit, and I think they benched him to try and send a message to him. And I think that they're handling handling this all wrong, to be honest. I think that, for one, I think that a lot of what our coaching staff and especially our fan base is doing with DeAndre Ayton is asking him to do a lot of what he is not that great at. And uh, those things that he's not that great at so far are creating for himself, catching the ball too far away and facing up. And, and, and then the sort of aggressive thing, I think a lot of the aggression is that he just goes up for a lot of layups and maybe they consider, a lot of people people consider yeah, that Yeah, I soft. do want to address. Now, I just want to talk about off, offense I, first. I do want, I so, do want to address yeah, that. That's, that's total bullshit. You made a point, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or Reddit, but you made a point once where if DeAndre Ayton scored five fewer points per game, like he was averaging like 10 and 10 instead of 15 and 10, but those 10 points came on just, you know, a bunch of dazzling posterizing dunks that the narrative about him would be completely shifted and that people would be at least I think this was you. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that. Yeah, yeah it was. People it would was. be so happy 
uh, to see that sort of aggression out of him when none of that stuff really matters at the end of the day. There's nothing wrong with being a finesse post player. It's defense that I'm worried about when you talk about aggression. And if you want to talk about how he handles being an aggressive player on that end, then I'm totally with you. But this whole offense thing, like DeAndre Ayton needs to know he's 7-1 and not 5-9. He needs to dunk over uh, whoever's guarding him every single time down the floor. That that notion is just ridiculous. Yeah, for one, it's impossible. It's just not possible. These guys that he's he's playing against are massive as well. It's not like he's playing against a bunch of 5-9 guys on defense. They're just a bunch of other large NBA bigs. So fan base and coaching staff. So what's happened in these last few games is he, for, he does need to establish post position better off the ball but when it takes us 10 10 seconds to get him the ball because we have no guards who are good at throwing post passes it's difficult to hold that that post position for a really long time and he needs to be taught better on that that's not to say that he can't improve there he will and I think he will by the end of the season I think that's the type of thing that I think he's slowly getting better at part of that comes with just sprinting down the floor uh, on change of possessions and I think he's been doing that a little better in the last few weeks but the other thing we're doing is we're telling him to be more aggressive, and it's clear that he's getting this message because he has to talk about it after every game. It's not just us talking about it online as Suns fans. It's getting it's getting to him. It's an actual message being told to him. And then he's pushed out 18 feet away from the basket, and they toss him the ball, and then he's expected to, to somehow create for himself 18 feet away. That is not his game. He's never been great at that. What he needs to do is run pick and rolls with a point guard that can actually get him the ball on the roll. And what we don't have right now is a point guard. And uh, this expectation of him being overly aggressive and somehow that's going to fix all of his offensive troubles, it's just not true and it's not going to work. And it's on the coaching staff too because we need to figure out ways for him to get that post position. And there are plays, we've seen them run it, uh, in Philadelphia, there are plays that can get the post position quicker and actually give him the space that he needs to try and get that if we want him to create for himself in the post, which he's a lot better at than facing up. And when you're 18 feet away, you have to face up. When you're 10 feet away, you can post up. Those are the differences that we're running into right now. And par- part of it is that we're missing two of our best players. Yes, TJ Warren and Devin Booker are both gone. But this idea that he his offensive struggles are aggression related and aggression related only to me that's complete bullshit and I I just don't like what we're doing with him right now and it part of me a lot of what's happened this week is Aiton's played really badly without our other two best players and understandably so a lot of the defensive pressure is focused in on him right now uh and all of that's happening Luka Doncic is playing really really well Right. This is the sort of contrast that is driving Suns fans completely. In- yeah, I know. <laughs> completely insane. Uh, completely insane right now. Um, but I, it's a highlight thing, right? Nobody, not all Suns fans are watching every Luka Doncic game after all. We're, we'll get to see one this week uh, okay. when we play the Mavs. But I know. Uh, so it's really difficult to, 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 to contrast those two things happening all at once because Doncic is actually very good at creating for himself, at least with that step back three pointer. Um, you know, he's not averaging great percentages and, and these are, these guys are both rookies and they're both kids. So it's difficult to even, uh, pair them against each other. But as one guy's struggling and the other guy's succeeding sort of on a national stage and and the Mavericks are winning a lot of games, it's been a rough week (laughs) for, um, for Suns fans, but what do you think about Aiton's offense first? It's, it's been good. You know, I, I have to agree with everything, everything you said. Uh, we're just not putting him in a position to succeed right now. How do you expect him to excel when you take one of the biggest play types, the, the pick and roll, 
basically out of his arsenal if he can't even be a rim runner because you don't have an effective point guard uh, running that play with him, then there's really not much he can do. You're essentially limiting him to the post and to the face-up. And as you said, uh, the face-up is currently not his game, especially when it's that 20-foot uh, face-up from like a little bit past the elbow. It's It's just... It's a nice cherry on top sometimes when he has it going, but it's just not a way to create consistent offense in the NBA in 2018, and, and that's just that's just how it is these days. Um, but overall, Aiton has still been very good offensively. Uh, it's it's defense that we should probably touch on because that, not unfortunately, I hate to say it, not much has changed there with, with DeAndre at this point in the season. What I've noticed with DeAndre, and this is sort of a symptom of being a Suns player, is when things start going really badly, uh, defense just stops existing and <laughs> just sort of in general. And that happens with Devin Booker as well. If we're down by 10, we're down by 15. Uh, there's no fight. There's just no fight. Um, and Devin Booker's gotten a lot better at that this season to his credit. And I think that DeAndre Ayton will get better at that over time. But it's, it's sort of shown in these last uh, few games that once things are out of hand, there's no aggression at all. And if we're talking about aggression defensively, that absolutely is a DeAndre Ayton problem. And that needs to get fixed. And I'm not sure how to do that because that's a mentality thing. It's on the coaches as well. But sometimes I just want to see him hammer a guy. Just send him to the ground. Just do it once. Every once in a while. Just just to send a message. You know, we had Shaq on the team. We've seen what it's like. There's a guy. One guy gets to the rim once. Okay. That's that's on that's on me. Shaq will kind of say it, but the second time that guy goes to the rim, he's going to the ground, and that way, when he's going that third time, that fall is in the back of his mind. And you know, you get six fouls, use them right. Use them right. Don't don't get those cheap fouls on inbound passes or or, or cheap fouls on post positions. Now, mind you, they call the game a little differently now. It's easier to get cheap fouls now than it's ever been. But I'd like to see more aggression on that end. I do feel the same, but I also want to fight the narrative that I've also seen regarding the Doncic versus Aiton stuff, where people talk about how um, the knock on Aiton is defensive awareness and that can't be fixed, versus the knock on Luka is shooting and athleticism and that's going to be just fine, uh, which is something that I've seen that that struck me as odd over the past few days. I just want to say uh, DeAndre Aiton is bad on defense right now, and I absolutely agree with anyone who says that. He is bad. Uh, but there's some nuance to this conversation. Rim protection can be fixed. It is not something this early into his career where we just have to write him off and, and say that his rim protection is always going to be this bad. You look at Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic this season, two guys who have consistently been uh, laughed at, frankly, for their poor rim protection throughout their first few seasons in the NBA. Both of them are much, much better this year. Um, in fact, I, I pulled up the stats. Within six feet, um, in, ter- in terms of how they allow opponents to shoot within six feet. Last season, Carl Anthony Towns allowed 61%. Uh, this year, he's down to 55%, which is actually quite good. Last year, Jokic averaged uh, 67% is what he allowed opponents to shoot at the rim, which is basically, that's basically wow. a joke. That's what DeAndre Ayton is actually allowing right now, and it's a complete joke. Uh, and this year, he's down to 57%. So the notion that this is not fixable stuff uh, four or five years into a player's career is ridiculous. Uh, and we have to remember with DeAndre, first of all, it's harder for him to create for himself being a center, the the position that he plays at on offense, and that's certainly true. Uh, but also as it relates to defense as well, it just takes big men longer to adjust uh, to the NBA game. And it's always been that way, and, and I don't see why that would stop happening anytime soon. Yeah, 
even as Suns fans, we should remember that it took a while even for Amari Stoudemire to, to work on that face-up game. I, I made a point recently on Reddit that there's just not a lot of guys that are really good at that in the NBA at all right now. Giannis being the absolute best of the best, partially because he can dunk on anyone. Did you see his Blake Griffin <laughs> yeah. poster, by the way, where he, he just shoved? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Yeah. Wow. I, we haven't seen a guy like that in a long time uh it really is amazing to to blake first of all blake is big second of all he's very strong and to push him like that underneath the basket and posterize the guy that's known as the guy who's posterized everyone else that was really fun uh, to see especially as someone who is a little bit of a blake hater in myself so I, i i liked to see that i do have a hypothetical for you and this is a this is you're not gonna like it i'll warn you right now in the current state, so without Devin Booker and TJ Warren, would the Suns be better with Carmelo Anthony on the team? What, Mike? What are you What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a point. We don't I'm making a point. Things, so I have no idea what what you're going to say. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what, what even I'm making a point of. That? We are very bad. Very, very, very no. bad. No, stop. <laughs> and here's the stop. other you're thing. Embarrassing here's the other thing. You're embarrassing me. You. <laughs> I'm not saying that we would. I'm just saying that we might be because he's a terrible player and he still might be one of the better players on our team. We already have a and that's not a joke. On this team, his name is Jamal Crawford. If you haven't noticed, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. And if you haven't noticed since that Bucks game where Jamal, you know, got to be the hero, and I admitted back then, you know, I, I root for Jamal Crawford just like I root for any player with Phoenix Suns uniform on, except for maybe Markeith Morris when when he was, you know. His last half season with the Suns. Worst. Yeah, uh, but other than that, I root for players with Suns uniforms on. But Jamal hasn't been great recently, and that's because he's regressed to the mean that we expect him to be at this point in his career. Carmelo would be exactly the same. I mean, it doesn't help for a guy like Jamal Crawford if if there's not a lot of shooting threats on the floor and you're trying to get into the paint and they just crowd the paint. There's not a lot of, of space to, to create your own shot. Uh, very difficult. Now, I don't want Carmelo Anthony. It's just the Suns have two open roster spots right now uh, with Isaiah Kanan being gone. And uh, there's a lot of speculation as to what's coming. And I think that in, you know, six days from now, December 15th, I imagine we'll be re- recording a podcast about the new look of the team. And if we're not, there might be riots. <laughs> there might be riots. Yeah, well, I'd certainly hope James Jones is working all of the phones right now. Um, it was nice, by the way. We haven't even mentioned it yet, uh, maybe because he hasn't played. But uh, Suns fans were getting really angry about that second two-way spot not being filled up until this point, and I was right there with them. Um, but we we did use it, so now Jawan Evans uh, is on the team. So congrats to him. I hope we get to see him play, and I hope he shows us something uh, promising. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet if we took a poll on John Wall like three or four weeks ago, and then took a poll on John Wall now, as far as how Suns fans would feel. I'm guessing they're warming up to that idea a little bit more as the days go by. Now, at I'm not point, saying that it's the best best idea, but... If, if Devin stays out for long enough at this point, I bet you could trade for John Wall, still keep your top seven pick or so, because you're not going to rise too yeah. far up in the standings right now. Yeah, especially with the odds the way they work right now. I was thinking about the same thing. If we waited until the trade deadline and made a move for John Wall, there's a potential of the Suns picking a top three or top four pick and going into the season with John Wall, Devin Booker, we probably have to get rid of... I'm guessing TJ Warren would be the guy that would need to go in that case. And I think that's where it sticks because he's got a great team-friendly contract. And he's been so good. And he's one of the few success stories as far as who the Suns have drafted. So that would be 
difficult. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to give an update on the arena situation. A few podcasts ago, I broke down exactly what the Suns were looking at while there's been some movement there. And then we'll preview these uh, coming games for this week. So we'll be right back. Something I was thinking about recently is, uh, is this the lowest point in Suns fans' history? So as fans, is this the lowest point that we've come to? Now, uh, hear me out a little bit. Now, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to dwell on this because it's not fun to talk about, but uh, we are a team that had finally drafted our number one pick. Uh, we have Devin Booker. Uh, we have some players that are, that are worthwhile. We spent the last few years tanking and losing game after game after game and enduring some of the most brutal losses ever we we followed that up with two games where we scored less than 10 points in the first quarter which is the first time in NBA history that that's ever happened now a lot of people online are saying well if every team loses their two uh, best players they would look this bad well no I think we have statistical proof that that's not true it's the first time that's ever happened that's never happened before um, and we have an owner that appears to be completely uh, out of his sorts and, and hopeless. And so I was just thinking about this. Is this the lowest point in Suns history? So that's a question for all of our listeners. They can reach out and, and give us their opinion on that. Or Sam, what do you think? Is this the, the low point for Suns fans? Uh, yes and no. What I mean by that is yes in terms of the uh, <laughs> the on-court basketball product right now is brutal. And um, if you look, Basketball Reference has the statistic SRS. It's basically a combination of average point differential, but also takes into account your strength of schedule. The Suns right now have a negative 9.93 SRS. That's the worst in team history um, by far, actually, and would be the 16th worst season in NBA history. In case you're wondering, the worst is the 92-93 Mavs who went 11-71. and It's actually not the 7-59 and um, Bobcats hmm. team from several years ago, even though they had uh, a worse record. It, it would be the Mavs from about 15 years before that. However, in terms of team reputation, I want to make the argument that this is definitely not <laughs> the worst point in Suns history, and that could always be worse. Uh, because let's take it back to the, this was before I was born, the 87-88 Suns season. Uh, we could always say the the team wasn't that bad. This was right before the Larry Nance for Kevin Johnson trade uh, in Cleveland that really shook up the team and, and sort of set the stage for the Suns becoming a very good team uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. But just before that, you had all of Waltergate, uh, which was, of course, Walter Davis um, sort of ratting on a few of his teammates, um, James Edwards, Jay Humphreys being the two notable of the group. Uh, who ended up being indicted for cocaine trafficking. So the Suns were embroiled in this sort of drug scandal uh, sort of happening in that uh, offseason just before the 87-88 season began. And then that's not even the worst part. So first of all, you had these uh, these players being taken up in this drug scandal, some of them having to go to trial, um, which I believe it ended up uh, Edwards and Humphreys just joining a, a drug counseling program after the... Um, after the the case fell apart, uh, but then the other thing that happened that off season is the death of Nick Vanos in a, a plane crash, along with his either his girlfriend or his wife, I forget which one it was in August. So to recap, you had an off season in which about a quarter of the team was part of a drug scandal, 
um, your backup center who had just started a bunch of games before and looked pretty pretty promising at the end of the prior season died. Uh, and then at the very end of that offseason, just before it looked like the Suns maybe were at the point of uh, being sold off to someone else and possibly being relocated out of Phoenix, you had Jerry Colangelo swoop in and, and buy the team for what was then like a record high $45, 50000000 million, something like that, which is absurd to think about now. But that has to be the worst era of Suns basketball. I mean, imagine all of that stuff happening right now, a drug scandal, a death of a player, uh, and, and almost being relocated all in one offseason right now in the social media age. You think the Suns' reputation is bad right now with what's going on with firing 80% of our front office and not filling those those oh. spots a quarter through the season. and So it's bad right now, but this is still nothing compared to what the Suns were uh, at that point in history about 30 years ago now, even if uh, the on-court results are a little bit worse. God, we really got got to get rid of Sarver. If we got to get rid of Sarver. If you have to point at an offseason with a drug scandal and a player dying to find a worse situation than just a team that literally just drafted the number one overall pick, then that's pretty bad. Um, now I will say we have some we have hope now at least right these, these guys are young and they could get a lot better. We've got a number one pick. We've got a budding superstar in Devin Booker. Um, any any of our listeners, I think we have admittedly a younger demographic, but if we have any listeners out there who uh, remember being a Suns fan at that point in the eighty seven eighty eight season, let us know. Uh, find us online and let let us know what you think is the lowest point in Suns history. Uh, and did the Suns have a, a worse reputation then than they do right now? Also, if anyone knows how to get in touch with Rex Chapman, I would love to have him on this podcast because he's uh, a pretty amazing redemption story and has a very entertaining Twitter if, if people are not following him. He's very, very entertaining online. So, uh, All right, Sam, I appreciate you bringing that up. That makes me feel a little bit better about this season so far. Um, so an update on the arena. So quickly, uh, the Phoenix City Council has sort of announced an agreement. It hasn't fully been voted on yet, but they announced an agreement that is in place where taxpayers will pay $150 million to help pay for renovations on Talking Stick Resort Arena with a lot of that money coming from a tourism tax, which will be on car rentals and hotel rooms, which I found kind of funny and interesting. It's just they're, they're sort of, uh, they found a way to sort of justify it, saying that a lot of Arizona residents maybe aren't going to be paying that. It's going to be coming from a lot of tourists who are coming into town. So that's interesting. Um, the Suns actually will also chip in about $80 million uh, and will pay to build a new practice facility sam a new practice facility somewhere in the valley so maybe when that happens we we gotta get yusuf on (laughs) someone reached to him for comment at sun's twitter i mean sorry at sun's (laughs) film on twitter is what i meant to say but he's been he's been hoping and it should be said hoping for this for a long time and for people who missed that episode what he did which was very interesting to me and also kind of funny he broke down significant improvements from specific teams and pointed out that a lot of these improvements came after the team invested in a new practice facility so correlation is obviously not always causation but still kind of interesting uh in that a new practice facility it his point was what it shows is a willingness to invest in your players and sometimes i wonder if uh, sarver has been waiting to fix these things because he 
wanted to find a way to get taxpayers to pay for it. So things just got worse and worse and worse without any investment at all because he wanted to come up with a deal before he started investing money in it. Well, now there is one. Um, so the potential deal will keep the Suns in downtown Phoenix until at least the 2037 season with an option to keep them in Phoenix until 2042. So this is a long time and it sort of it could potentially quell any rumor of the team leaving because the biggest issue with the team leaving would have been the arena. Um, if the Suns do choose to break that agreement, they would actually have to pay the city $200 million. So more than the amount that was initially invested into the arena. So the, the city itself would actually profit off of the, the team leaving. And as we know, Sarver's not going to do that. He's not going to pay $200 million for that. So this should be finalized on Wednesday. So we will know in the next few days if this is finalized. But based on the reporting that's currently out there, the deal's in place. The votes are there. They're just waiting to finalize it on Wednesday. So it seems like the Suns are going to be in Phoenix for uh, a long time, basically, uh, over 20 years. And uh, yeah, that, that that should be good. It will help sort of calm a lot of people down a little bit because it's been a stressful, uh, of course, as, this, as the team loses and loses and loses, that's stressful enough, but the idea of those losses and the inability to, to renovate the arena leading to the team potentially ending up in Seattle, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Do you have any thoughts on this uh, new deal coming up, we Sam? We will get back to you guys with another update in 2037. <laughs> <laughs> you ever think about where you're going to be in 20 years? That's scary. God. Oh, I, I don't want to think about that. Uh, who knows if I'll survive if the Suns keep playing like this. <laughs> News, more news on that soon, but next week it'll probably just be a rehash of, of what I just talked about, and we'll know going forward that this is the case. It will be very, very, very nice to have a new arena, and some uh, what some people are thinking is if Sarver were to sell, this offseason would be a nice time to do it because he would have a star in Devin Booker signed up for five years, the number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton, and a potential top three, top four pick uh, in this coming draft. And as far as, along with the arena, about to be uh, renovated. So as far as a good time to sell at high value, this would be a good one. I would say it would be a good one. Now, if it doesn't happen this offseason, I would say that we're probably going to be stuck with Sarver for the long haul. So get used to it and and, and do whatever you can to try and get rid of him. Yeah, well, as <laughs> I don't know as what NBA it would take. teams get more and more expensive, though, I haven't looked at the most recent valuation of of how much the Suns would go for, but imagining that it would be upwards of a billion, probably a billion and a half, even two billion at this point to own an NBA team, the barrier of entry for for any new owner continues to increase. So I think the main thing when when you're looking for someone new to own the team is you have to actually start looking at the very small pool of actual candidate <laughs> resident billionaires uh, that are out there that could that could even yeah. buy the team in the first place. I don't know who that would be in the Phoenix area. Uh, the governor. <laughs> Ducey, the guy who started Cold Stone Creamery. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of other guys. I've looked this up. Yes, that's how far the depths of my son's fandom have gone. I've looked up the billionaires in Arizona, and there's only a few. So Bezos, Bezos, it's the only thing you don't know in Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Step in. I know you don't live in Arizona, but there's not all. It's not often that a, a team will uh, go on sale. And if you got two billion dollars, this guy's like a hundred billion dollars. It's like nothing. It's barely a percentage of his wealth. And um, he's the type of guy who can turn this into a money-making franchise. So uh, I can't imagine, and I don't know that this is the case, but I should say before we go on to preview the last few, uh, the next few games, the last few years the Suns have actually been profitable. 
And that's partially because Sarver doesn't spend money on anything. So he's found a way to turn this into a profitable team, even through the disaster that was the last few seasons. But if you look at the attendance so far this season, I can't imagine that this team is profitable. I just can't picture it. So I don't know that it is or it isn't. But it'll be interesting when those numbers come out, which they usually do after the season ends. Uh, we'll take a look at them on this podcast and we'll try and figure out if this team is actually profitable for him at this point, being that it's his biggest business venture from my understanding right now, it being profitable probably matters a lot for him. And if it's not, maybe that could lead to him selling it. So fingers crossed. Four games coming up this week, Clippers, Spurs, Mavs, and Timberwolves. So uh, the the rumors are... These teams, believe it or not. Yeah, the rumors are... Uh, that uh, T.J. Warren should or could be back for the Clippers game, which is the 10th, so that is Monday, uh, followed by the Spurs game, which is the only game that is away. So there's three home games and the Spurs game, which is away, on Tuesday, which is a back-to-back. So Clippers-Spurs back-to-back, Mavs and Wolves uh, to end the week. Uh, Clippers, it's going to be rough. We've already played them before, and they're very good. We've seen it firsthand. There's just no bad players. It's just good guy after good guy after good guy coming at us at, at, at all points. Uh, Tobias Harris, of course, uh, put it on us. I'm sure he's going to do that again. I know you're a fan of this Clippers team. Do you have any thoughts on this game coming up? I hate to sound like a broken record. It's going to be 0-4 even with TJ Warren. Um, that's my prediction in basically every week from now on, as long as we continue to preview, uh, preview these games until Devin Booker comes back. Yeah. Um, you talked about Tobias. He did really well. Danilo Gallinari absolutely lit us up last time. He had like 28 and 10. Um, and, and Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams are just an unstoppable one, two punch off the bench compared to anyone we have on our bench. Uh, so that's, that's unfortunate. And, uh, yeah, the chances aren't good. Yeah. The Clippers haven't really slowed down, but you know who has? The Spurs, they look pretty bad. They don't look good. Uh, So the Spurs, I think if out of all these games, even the Mavs, I think that the Spurs game is the the most likely that we could win. The only problem is it's the only away game and it's the second night of a back-to-back. So as far as teams in a vulnerable place, that's a good situation for the Spurs in this game. Some people call those schedule losses. It's just not a good place, especially with TJ Warren. If he does play at the Clippers game, He might not play in that Spurs game on a back-to-back, depending on how he feels. So hopefully our our training staff is actually keeping these guys out of games long enough to fully heal because it didn't seem like that was the case with Devin Booker previously. And I'm hoping that's the case with TJ Warren. So if he does play, hopefully it's at 100%. So uh, that Spurs game, it's interesting. The Spurs have shot the lowest amount of three-pointers uh, of, of any, I believe, of any team so far. The lowest amount the Spurs have shot themselves over the last few years. They play a lot of that mid-range game. We know that their two best guys are LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, but there are other guys like Rudy Gay. Those guys just like to shoot mid-range shots. So we're going to see a lot of mid-range shots put, us, put on us in that game. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. Without Devin Booker, it's, it's hard to believe that we'd win that game. Do you have any thoughts on that Spurs game? Yeah, they're they're just kind of a hard team to place right now. Um, the Spurs are about where I expected, maybe a little bit worse than I expected, given the star talent of DeRozan and Aldridge. But they just don't really play a modern game anymore, exactly. And um, they took some hard blowouts to, to teams like Minnesota, Houston, Utah. Uh, but then they've also beaten teams like Portland and and the Lakers recently. So I don't really know uh, where this team is. I, I would confidently say that they're still a lot better than us. Um, and with it being a back-to-back, again, the chances aren't good, but you never know. They are hurting enough uh, as of late that the Suns could maybe sneak one here. And the next game, the Dallas Mavericks at home 
the second time we're playing the Mavs at home this season. Uh, Luka Doncic coming to town. So important for the narratives right here. The, the win-loss result doesn't matter, but the narrative does. Which one do you want to win the most, right? It's got to be this one. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the one I want the most, even, even in a yeah. week with the Spurs. Normally it would be the Spurs, but at this point, with the way the narrative's going, if Beat the Luka. Suns... Right, if the Suns get blown out by the Mavs, or if it's a close game and Luka takes over at the end of the game, it's going to be a whole season of the Suns made the wrong pick, the Suns made the wrong pick, which could be true. Uh, We won't know, I think, for years whether or not that that's true. But Luka's looked good, especially in the clutch so far this season, one of the top performers in the clutch as far as shooting percentage so far this season. So that's an important game. But we've seen it before. The the Suns, at full health, have some advantages against that Mavs team. They just really don't have anyone to defend DeAndre Ayton if he plays right. So uh, that, that that should be a good game for him. Uh, but we won't be at full health. So that'll be a tough game no matter what. And the Mavs are winning games right now. So no expectation to win that one. <laughs> uh, but if I had to choose one that I want to win, it would be that game. And the last game this week against the Timberwolves. Now, the Timberwolves have had a fascinating season. We've talked about them before. We talked about the Jimmy Butler trade when it happened. They're pretty good right now. They're pretty good right now. They're playing really well. Of course, they have Dario Saric and Robert Covington. Robert Covington currently on the injured list, but based on the injury that he currently has, I'm guessing he will be playing by the time they are in town here in Phoenix. Robert Covington is already getting buzzed for a potential Defensive Player of the Year award, so he's looking very good on the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns has stepped up his offensive and defensive game. You just went over his rim protection stats. He's looked amazing since that trade. It's almost like they washed themselves that Jimmy Butler stink that was on them as he was trying to sort of ruin that franchise while he was there, and they've been playing relatively well ever since. Um, That'll be a tough game. they got a lot of big guys to throw at us as far as guarding DeAndre Ayton, and as we know, not full strength, so that'll be rough. What are your thoughts on the Timberwolves coming to town? Yeah, it's unfortunately tough. As you said, uh, they've got a lot of guys to throw at DeAndre Ayton, and, and Covington, I think the defensive player of the year nods right now are deserved with the way he's playing. He's averaging absolutely tad under three steals per game over a block a game. He's basically giving them better defensive production. He's as good of a replacement as I could have gotten for Jimmy Butler, let's put it that way. Um, you know, certainly not the same type of shot creation, but just on the defensive end, he's been absolutely amazing. And he's a guy that they can easily stick on either TJ Warren or Devin Booker, uh, regardless of which one might be healthy at that point, And he could shut them down. So that's going to be a big problem for Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a great offense even in general without Devin Booker on the floor. So add a guy like Robert Cummington guarding whoever is the number one option uh, on that any given night. And that's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult to, to create shots against that team, which is kind of crazy to say at this point with what we've known about the Wolves for the last few years. That's how big of a difference Robert Covington makes. That's going to be an interesting one. So I think we're both calling this a, a, a 0-4 week unless Devin Booker comes back. Is that right? Hate to say it, but that's just where we're at right now. Yeah, it is. Now, what I'm hoping, and I don't know that this is the case, but what I'm hoping is when we come back, probably on the 15th of December... Maybe even what could be considered an emergency podcast. <laughs> We're talking about a different roster here. Trevor Reason might not be on the team. If I had to guess, I'm guessing Troy Daniels is a guy that will likely be moved, unfortunately, as well. Um, do you have any predictions? Any thoughts of who could be on the team by next Sunday? By next Markel Saturday? Fultz? Do we Markel think that Fultz? That's, I, Does it actually have legs? I mean, everyone's saying it at this point. 
I think it's the it's probably the most likely, right? Because we talked about the issues potentially trading for John Wall that make it difficult for the Wizards. It would cost them $20 million basically to get rid of him this season that they have to come out of pocket to pay uh, on top of his normal salary that they paid up to this point. So that's unlikely. Uh, and um, who else is even available? Like we don't, I mean, George Hill just got moved. We, we could have taken that George Hill contract very easily and, and potentially played him at that point guard position. Uh, clearly, we're not doing that. Um, a pretty good trade. I, I think it's an interesting trade for the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. Uh, but clearly, that's not going to happen. I, I mean, who else is even available? I can't think of anyone else. Yeah, there's no one immediately on the uh, on the, the trade rumor. Bledsoe? <laughs> no. No. Now not. that they have George Hill on the Bucks. <laughs> not Bledsoe. Yeah, no, but you make a good point. There's no one else that's even necessarily available right now. I'm sure there are some names. Uh, that are going to start being floated around there as we get closer to December fifteenth, though. I, I mean the the best potential the best potential player available is Brad Beal, and I just don't think the Suns have the assets if he does become available compared to what other teams could give up for Brad Beal. So, unfortunately, that's where we're at. So we'll see what happens uh, next week. A very different conversation coming. In all likelihood. So stick with it, Suns fans. Uh, we're, we're trying to stick with it on our end. Uh, you got anything else, Sam? Stop being mean to each other. Yeah, be nice. Play we're nice. all teammates here. Hey, yeah. Be nice. We all like this team. Uh, you can criticize this team because this team sucks. <laughs> and we're, we're sorry if we bum you out with these episodes at this point. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> be reasonable about it in, in your discourse online. Shouldn't be too much to ask yeah. for. Yep, yep, yep. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. I feel like if even three of us called in to report a sexual assault committed by Robert Sarver, police or, invest- or investors, somebody has to do something. just wrapped up another episode of the timeline i love this podcast and if you're like me you want as much sun's content as possible that's why i listen to the timeline every week so if you want to go ahead and hear some more phoenix sun's content go ahead and listen to the solar panel a phoenix sun show we are available on spotify on itunes on stitcher on google play anywhere that you listen to podcasts go ahead and check out the solar panel a phoenix sun's show Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.